If you put the right things in your body, your body will perform at a higher level, making sure that you have diet rich in fruits and vegetables so that when your body is put under stress, you have more of an ability to be able to actually resist those mutations. Hey family, I'm Leon Guidry. Welcome to the Brother Be Well podcast. Our conversations focus on mental health and wellness. Our intent is to provide a safe space for boys and men of color to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. Listen up, y'all. Hello, I'm Michael P. Coleman, content director for Brother Be Well. If you're wondering why we're talking about lung cancer today, consider these facts. African-American men have a higher incidence of lung cancer than any other racial or ethnic group, and they have higher death rates from the disease as well. The higher lung cancer risk is attributed in part to differences in smoking behaviors with black men. Lung cancer is also the second most diagnosed cancer among African-American men following prostate cancer. While black men lead in lung cancer diagnoses and deaths, we by no means are alone in this. This year alone, about 6,000 Latinx men are expected to be diagnosed with cancer of the lung. And over half of those men, 3,200 people will die of the disease again this year. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, lung cancer is the leading cause of cancer death among Native American and indigenous men. People with lung cancer have an increased risk of mental health challenges as well, including anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress, and suicidal thoughts and behavior, all of which are exacerbated if someone has a past history of a mental health condition. So that's part of why this is on Brother B. Wells' radar. Today, as a part of a series on cancers that disproportionately affect the lives of men of color and their families, we're going to talk about lung cancer and unpack all of this with one of my favorite experts, Cherie Kreiner, is a registered nurse. And she's also a Brother Be Well clinical advisor. She's with the Capital City Black Nurses Association. Cherie, welcome back to Brother Be Well. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. Let's get right at this, Cherie. Um, And we can't break it down any more basically than to describe what we're talking about. Tell us exactly what is lung cancer? Lung cancer is cancer. It's a mutation of your regular cells. And when those regular cells mutate, then they prevent the organ or part of the body from working the way it's supposed to, right? So our lungs help us to breathe and bring um, oxygen in and expel the things that you don't need. And so when you have lung cancer, um, everything that it takes for you to have energy, oxygen, to, um, to walk, talk, move, your energy is all impacted. So anytime you hear a cancer, basically think mutation, so abnormal change to a cell, and then the cells can't function the way they're supposed to. And today we're talking about that specifically happening in the lungs. Well, let's talk about that in, in a little more detail, Cherie. Um, what are the causes of lung cancer and also what are the risk factors? So lung cancer is largely caused by smoking, either directly smoking or exposure to secondhand smoke. And then also it can be impacted by environmental factors. I'm sure you've heard the commercials late at night on TV and it's like, do you have mesothelium? (laughs) Have you been exposed to asbestos? Mm -hmm. So those types of cancers are, um, can be caused by environmental factors. And then lastly, there's a small percentage of people that have lung cancers that don't smoke. They haven't been exposed to secondhand smoke and they don't really understand its origin. Uh, But largely smoking and exposure to secondhand smoke. So some people consider lung cancer pretty preventable because 
um, you can avoid the largest risk factor. It's impossible, Cherie, to, to mention all of those risk factors and causes and not mention the social determinants of health that, that you and I and other experts have been talking about on this platform for a while. Those risk factors, those determinants rather, that leave people of color more vulnerable to lung cancer and a host of other cancers. Um, am I right about that? Do we need to take a second and just talk about that? Talk about lung cancer in the context of what really why people of color and men of color are, are more vulnerable, more susceptible, and die more frequently um, of it. Right. So all the things we talk about, um, so environmental factors, for instance, I grew up in the 80s. Um, everyone smoked cigarettes. My mom has, you know, pictures of me on her hip with a cigarette in her hand. And I also lived in an impoverished neighborhood. And everywhere you went, there was an advertisement for not only cigarettes, but menthol cigarettes. And menthol cigarettes in particular um, increased addiction because of the taste, as well as the menthol sensation that makes you like great, take a greater inhale. And um, so where I live, alcohol, food desert. So you're not getting the, a balanced diet that you need. You're being pushed all of these carcinogens in your everyday life. And so by happenstance, my increased risk is up, right? Like this is what's around me. This is what people are doing. So socially, um, and then you have the other social determinants of health, the mistrust in healthcare. So now that I do have a symptom, I'm scared to go to the doctor and follow up. So if I do find out now it's advanced, it's a later stage of cancer. So I have a higher uh, risk of um, actually succumbing to the cancer and dying. So absolutely. Um, I lived in a house, Michael, with two cigarette smokers my entire life. Um, mm. As an adult, I have a pretty moderately severe asthma. And that was none of my own doing. But I definitely have that risk factor. And it's something that I'm mindful of today, being around people with, you know, secondhand smoke. It's, you know, hookah, things are popular. Um, I'm really mindful of that because I know my risk is higher, but you're absolutely right. Um, your environment, your economic status, what you're exposed to. Um, and then I would say the other thing about environment is, you know, sometimes you're around irritants that are causing and you don't know. Um, I'll tell you another quick story. I was around my cousin's house in uh, Richmond, California. And like there was some smell in the air one day, like to the point where I was kind of coughing and I was like, you know, I'm asthmatic, I'm sensitive. Oh, well, you know, we're close to Chevron and sometimes they let off this, you know, <laughs> exhaust and you can smell it. And I'm thinking, well, probably everyone in this neighborhood is mm -hmm. exposed to this irritant and we don't know the impact. And so you can see how all of those factors come together and put you at an increased risk. For sure. So, so for communities of color and men of color, we've got to be mindful of that. That, that we are again, we're um, behind the eight ball with regard to, to changing some of the, our behaviors, like stopping smoking, that that we know will cause um, um, the lung cancer we're talking about today. Um, how will speaking to that person, Cherie, who's who's smoking? How will that person know? Uh, you know, some 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 people listening to this podcast have been smoking for years, and so how will that person know? when those years or decades of usage have, have finally started to catch up to them. Right. So that's the, you know, that's the sad part of this story, Michael. By the time most people develop actual symptoms, so symptoms that have started and not gone away. So 
just as a reminder, if you ever have a symptom that starts and continues to worsen and not go away, um, that's when you seek a doctor. But specifically with lung cancer, by the times you're experiencing unexplained weight loss, um, a cough that is more severe than your normal smoker's cough, or a cough that also includes um, bloody sputum or coughing up, then that is already when you're in advanced stage. So it's really hard to actually know that you have lung cancer until you're already having symptoms of a more advanced uh, stage of lung cancer. So that really the best thing to do, Michael, is if you're smoking, stop smoking. If you wow. think you're vaping because vaping is better than smoking, um, it's the knife over the gun analogy, Michael. Like both things can kill you. <laughs> One is yeah. um, more likely than the other, but they're still both bad. The the, the other some some of the good news here, um, as I've kind of dug through some data, uh, getting ready to talk with you, Cherie. It, it looks like older people are most often diagnosed. So for our youth listening, you got a little more time than I might have if I got to give up a habit like this. Is that is that accurate? This is a, an affliction that tends to affect um, older adults and not so much young people. Right, because. It's exposure over time. So it's the chronic use or exposure to the risk factors that add up that lead to lung cancer. So I would say it's older folks because that's when it's diagnosed and it takes a longer time to develop, which also means you're right. You have a chance. You can change your lifestyle and, and prevent or eliminate this risk. Yeah, for sure. I also understand that, that it, it's, lung cancer is one of the more aggressive of the cancers. And that while survival rates are improving over what they were decades ago, they still remain quite low. So I got to check in with you, Sheree. Is that accurate? And the second part of this question is how how important here, and I have a feeling I know what you're going to say, but, but tell us again, how important is early diagnosis and treatment with regard to, to lung cancer? All right. Early diagnosis and treatment is key. When you have those symptoms, like I said, that show up and don't go away and are progressing, go and see your doctor. They'll get, get your chest x-ray or other imaging. They'll listen to your lungs, and they can help to provide a treatment um, as soon as possible. Anytime you have a change in your condition, you know your body better than anyone else, and it's not getting better, that's when you go to the doctor to get help. Because even the survival rates with lung cancer in particular, a lot of the research is done within one year because the, the recurrence rate is really high. So they can say 40% of people with lung cancer may not have a recurrence within one year, but really in cancer treatment, we're looking at a five-year stretch for optimal survival. So we definitely have to get treatment as soon as possible and then weigh all of your options to have the best outcome. Um, with precision medicine now, we're getting much better about treating things specifically. Um, chemotherapies are much more precise and better um, in a lot of aspects. And so just, you know, really talking to all of your specialists and making the best decision for your health care um, if you find yourself in a position where you have lung cancer. And let's talk about the, the access or, or connection or need to connect with those specialists. Um, Cherie, I've got a feeling anybody listening to this particular podcast isn't going to skip that critical step of checking in with a medical provider. But um, for the sake of this talk, we, we certainly want everybody to do that. For the sake of this conversation, can you tell us the most common or the most effective treatment options for lung cancer? 
Right. So what the treatment involves is um, having an oncologist um, may mean having a doctor that's going to actually do the surgery and then also a doctor that may prescribe uh, chemotherapy or radiation therapy. So usually cancer treatment, lung cancer treatment in particular, involves a team because depending on the stage, so um, when you, uh, how bad the cancer is, if it's still local in the actual lung, if it's gone to lymph nodes or other parts of the body, and then that dictates what type of treatment that will be offered. So it really depends, Michael, but usually a team approach where there's a doctor that handles each part. There's a, a surgeon to remove the cancer um, or a portion of the lung, which is common. Um, they'll take the whole portion of the lung and then um, radiation therapy and then um, chemotherapy. So usually a team of three or more provide care for lung cancer patients because all of those parts have to be considered and they all depend on how large the tumor may be, how large the area is that's involved, and then if that area is beyond the lungs, which also is a risk factor. Um, remember, as I told you, usually by the time someone has symptoms, it's in a more advanced stage, so they may be looking at treatment in more than one area, unfortunately. Yeah, so again, early, early, um, conversations with medical providers. I, I love the way you mentioned, Sharia, if the symptom doesn't go away, no matter what the symptom is, if a little time doesn't doesn't take care of it, check in with that medical advisor and sooner rather than later. You, you Sharia, have been involved in the treatment of a lot of people. I can already tell in, in talking to you, you, you've dealt with a lot of patients who have been diagnosed with lung cancer. Um, do you have any tips for someone who's dealing with the mental distress? I, I'm I'm blessed enough so far to not have received a cancer diagnosis, but I would think that that, that could bring on an onset of some mental health challenges. I know for me, it probably would. Um, can you, do you have any tips for someone dealing with the mental stress of either themselves or a loved one having been recently diagnosed with lung cancer? Right, Michael, you actually made an important distinction there. Not only care for the patient, but also their family. So I strongly advise um, families to actively participate in the care to support the patient with lung cancer and take full advantage of um, any types of uh, group therapies or their own individual therapies so that they are dealing with their emotions and feelings so that they could be there for their loved one. Like if you don't take care of yourself, you can't take care of someone else. Um, I also encourage patients undergoing um, treatment or newly diagnosed to not only seek their own personal mental health care provider um, to manage their symptoms that they're going through mentally, but also participate in um, patient-led groups, like talking to people that have been through what you've already gone through to ask questions and to relate. Because even me as a healthcare provider that's never had lung cancer, um, I can only empathize and sympathize so much, but I found that patient-led groups to um, support groups for patients to talk to each other, share their stories, what they've been through, are really beneficial. I'm a part of one in my current um, role, and it's really, really beneficial. Like, it always fills my cup back up because no matter how many um, therapists and professionals we have there, it's very profound how they help each other heal through shared experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't like to, um, thank you, by the way, for, for um, pointing out that distinction, um, Cherie. I, I think we, a lot of our programs, I'll, I'll do a little cross-promotion here, but here at Brother We Will, we've got a whole series of, of uh, 
videos and podcasts directed to parents and caregivers because we we realized pretty quickly that often, you know, a lot of the mental health and physical health conditions that we're talking about um, don't just impact the patient, but they impact, you know, the family and in some cases, the whole community. So thank you for, for um, acknowledging that, Cherie. Um, a, a, a difficult question for me to talk about, you can probably tell from my voice, I always hate to think about in the life when we're talking about conditions like this. I know someone listening is going to hear something that's going to positively impact their lives, but we we have to deal with with harsh, more harsh realities all the time. So can you tell us, Cherie, what the end of life looks like for someone who has allowed that nicotine habit to, to, to control them to the point where they can't stop smoking and they wind up walking through a, a lung cancer um, journey? All right. So, Michael, you know, I tell you, breathing is one of those things that just happens on its own and you don't really know how important it is until you can't, right? So when we talk about cancer treatment and surgery and all those things, what we um, didn't touch on is the shortness of breath, which means if you don't have enough breath to walk up the stairs or have a conversation um, or go to places that you normally go or you're dependent on oxygen and have to carry a tank around, it's really quality of life impacting. And so um, what you focus on uh, stage four um, advanced lung cancer really is um, palliative care. So making sure that the best life possible could be offered um, while your loved one is still here. So that may include a palliative care or hospice team um, to kind of help deal with all the details, what type of medical things are needed, what type of psychosocial support is needed for the family. And then really just getting through everyday stuff. Um, imagine not being able to catch your breath by walking from, you know, your bed over to the sink to go brush your teeth in the morning. Like it's really impactful um, and difficult and really decreases your ability to live that full life you may have had uh, prior to the diagnosis, especially towards the end. And it also impacts the entire um, family or group around the loved one because, like I said, that person's not able to, um, you know, participate in life fully the way they did just because of sheer inability. They aren't able to take in enough oxygen to uh, conduct the functions of their body. So it's a, it's really, um, it's one of the most difficult things to watch, Michael, because it steals your quality of life in a way that I don't think people realize, like the inability to have a conversation because you're short of breath. Mm-hmm. And it's so I, I I I haven't had anyone in my family touched directly with lung cancer, but my father was a lifetime smoker and he died of, of throat cancer. There were two growths in his throat and they, you know, we could probably do a whole session on throat cancers. But that's what struck me the most. He had spent most of his life such a, a vibrant kind of strong, almost kind of had this reputation for having superhuman strength in the community. And then to see him sort of wither away to being tied to an oxygen tank and he can't, he's not as mobile as he, he used to be. And, you know, that was, that was the part that was really the most difficult to watch. So um, we want to, we want to directly those brothers who are listening right now, as well as the, the, um, the, the, our extended family, all the sisters like you should who support us. None of us want to either go through or watch a loved one go through, through that, it seems from what you've taught us today, the, the best strategy is to avoid getting lung cancer. Um, you can avoid getting lung cancer by stopping smoking. I'm, I'm wondering if you can give us any other tips, Cherie, to, to help us avoid that walk. Um, 
family history is out of our control and, and some of it's hereditary, I believe. But can you give us any other tips about how we can prevent a, a, a lung cancer diagnosis from, from staring us in the face? Um, as usual, Michael, healthy lifestyle. If you put the right things in your body, your body will perform at a higher level. Um, making sure that you have a diet rich in fruits and vegetables, that you're getting um, exercise so that when your body is put under stress, that you have more of an ability to be able to actually um, fight things off or resist those mutations. Having um, fruits that are high in antioxidants that clear those free radicals, the things in our bodies that can cause weird, you know, cell mutations to happen in the first place. So healthy lifestyle, um, not only not smoking yourself, but avoiding secondhand smoke at all costs um, and being intentional about doing your regular checkups. I, I can't tell people enough. They say, well, why am I going to the doctor if nothing's wrong? Regular checkups save you so much because you might not have symptoms. It might not be on your radar, but very, very much happens all the time that someone will be at the doctor and we'll find something that you didn't even know was there and it's early stage and it's treatable and you were saved all of that heartache of having that disease you didn't know that you had and then um, finding out much later when you had symptoms. So annual checkups are very necessary. And if you go in and you get that clean bill of health, then you celebrate. Um, that's yeah. the goal, right? But if you go in there and they find something and they catch it early, then it gives you more life. It increases your chances of survival. So um, that's what I would say, routine checkups and a healthy lifestyle as much as you can. Um, you, you touched on a, a several things that we'll keep in mind, Cherie. And um, I'm going to use something you said to kind of cross-promote some other Brother Be Well programs. You, you talked about healthy eating, fruits and vegetables, stuff with um, foods with antioxidant um, properties. We have a series of uh, audio podcasts on the platform as well on brotherbewell.com, conversations with Delilah Bizazi and, and other nutritionists. She's, she's our, our, our main um, nutritionist on Brother Be Well, but we've got a couple others as well. And really breaking down the different foods that, that you, you, you think just, you, sometimes you might not think it can make a difference, but if you make a major dietary shift younger in life again when you've got time to make a difference it can really impact the the, the final third of your life that's how i like to think about uh, a friend of mine told me i need to move to a football analogy or talk about quarters of your life but we all want to live long healthy lives and and we can do that by um practicing all of the things that you just walked us through Sarie kreiner registered nurse and um Capital City Black Nurses Association advisor, friend to Brother Be Well. Thank you so much, ma'am, for being with us today. Thank you for having me. We'll talk to you soon. And I want to thank you for listening in as well to this Brother Be Well podcast. If you've heard something that you've um, been intrigued by or enjoyed or you want to learn a little bit more, go to our uh, website, brotherbewell.com. You can join on brotherbewell.com. We're a membership-supported service but you can join for free. So do that right now. While you're there at brotherbewell.com, give us your email address and two or three times you'll sign up for our blog and two or three times a week or more, you'll get a notification in your uh, email box about a new broadcast or podcast or print piece that's available to you. A number of mental and behavioral health really topics designed to address the needs of brother brothers, uh, men of color, African-American and Latinx, native and, and indigenous 
uh, Hispanic, Latinx, and the LGBTQIA plus brothers that enhance those cultural communities. We do it all at brotherbewell.com, and we'll look forward to you being our next new member. Until next time, my name is Michael P. Coleman, again, content director for Brother Be Well, and I'm going to ask you to do two quick things for me. I don't want to load up the homework, but take great care of yourself, and then guess what? You get to take care of somebody else. Until next time, bye-bye. This has been the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsors, Sutter Health and the Sacramento County Division of Behavioral Health Services through the voter-approved Proposition 63 Mental Health Services Act. And don't forget our goals to reduce disparities, remove stigma, heal trauma, and to end prolonged suffering. If you have feedback on today's episode, tweet us at Brother Be Well or email info at brotherbewell.com. Click the subscribe button right now and plan to join us next time. Until then, be well, brothers.